Welcome to another episode of EmanCast, your source for emergency medicine ideas, information, and inspiration for medical students. My name is Will Hockett. I'm a third-year medical student at Oregon Health and Sciences University. On today's episode, it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Eric McCoy from UC Irvine. He's going to be sharing some tips and tricks about how to succeed on your third-year and sub-I rotations. Without further ado, Dr. Eric McCoy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, and thanks, and thanks for having me to your podcast. Once again, my name is Eric McCoy, a.k.a. McCoy, a.k.a. EMAC, from the University of California, Irvine Department of Emergency Medicine. And with regards to my background and the roles that I play, I play a few in the Department of Emergency Medicine at UC Irvine. Uh, one, I'm the director of the Simulation Fellowship. In fact, we have two fellowships, a, a national and domestic fellowship, where I educate and train healthcare providers who are teaching through simulation to train healthcare providers of the 21st century. I'm also the director of EMS, where I kind of oversee all things pre-hospital with regards to paramedics, ambulance traffic, and our hospital's interface with that community. And three, I also teach a little bit in evidence-based medicine, clinical epidemiology, and biostatistics. And I also provide educational courses and conferences to medical students uh, and pre-meds just about everywhere. And so I do a fair amount of teaching research, and clinical care. Dr. McCoy, I know you're a busy guy, so thank you for joining us today. I originally heard about you when somebody else quoted a canoe analogy that you like to tell. Would you mind sharing that today with our listeners? Absolutely. So what I'll do is I'll take a few of the highlights on one of the presentations I gave a few years back on how to have a massive impact on just about any rotation primarily talks about uh, any rotation in medicine, but this applies to just about any specialty in the healthcare sector. And there are a few things that we want to talk about, but one I imagine you wanted to talk about uh, the canoe example. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. <clears throat> so with this canoe example, I like to liken the, the student rotation uh, to being in a canoe. So imagine this. Imagine you are on an unnamed river uh, in an uncharted territory and you're in a canoe. And in this canoe, there are several individuals. One individual, the we'll call it the captain of the ship, is at the front of the canoe, kind of looking at where you guys have to go, kind of navigating the waters. And along with this captain of the ship are the majority of the workers, uh, the, the, the workhorse uh, of the canoe, which can be several different individuals. And at the back of the canoe, there's a seat. And the seat, the seat is for uh, the trainee, the person who has the least amount of experience uh, who's at the back of the canoe. And all you have at the back of the canoe is your seat and a paddle. And your paddle is your opportunity to provide the most amount of value to your team. So with regards to you being in this canoe in this unnamed river in this uncharted territory, your focus is to help your team as much as you can. And the first lesson from this, uh, this canoe example is that you want to be an asset and not a liability. If we were to talk about the definition of what an asset is in financial terms, uh, an asset is something that puts money in your pocket, and a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. Or an asset is something that adds value, and a liability is something that subtracts value. So your focus when you're in this canoe with your paddle, the most or the least experienced, is I want to be an asset. I want to add the most amount of value to this team. And so... First and foremost, you should remember you're here on the back of the canoe to provide service to your team. So service is your first and foremost thing that you're thinking about. And two, you want to add value. So provide service 
and add value. And so how would you do that as a least experienced, I'll just make up a word, canoeer? Well, all you have is your paddle, your opportunity. All you can do is paddle to the best of your ability. All you can do is have an impact and influence on your circle of influence. And if you don't know much about navigation, uh, and you don't know much about the details of the canoe, but you think you can paddle just about as hard as or harder than the rest of the individuals, that's the area you want to focus on. And so an asset in this regard would be a trainee who takes their opportunity, who takes their paddle and says, you know what, man, I'm about to paddle my ass off as hard as I can for as long as I can, the best of my ability. And you get on your canoe and you start paddling. But not only do you have to paddle, you kind of have to paddle in sync with the rest of the individuals who are in the canoe. So whether or not you're watching them or there's some type of chant, you know, there might be like a, oh, we, yo, oh, and you're like, okay, I got this. And you just have to paddle along with these individuals and you want to paddle to the best of your ability. That's how you'd be an asset on the canoe. You're not going to be navigating the canoe. You're probably not going to be the most impactful from uh, a number standpoint, but you, with all you have, your opportunity, you're going to do the best you can do. And so what does an asset look like in the clinical setting? And I'm going to use the emergency department setting in the sub as an example. And so you have a captain of the ship, which is called the attending physician in this instance. Then you also have the, the, the major rowers, whether it be the interns or the junior residents or the senior residents, or sometimes even uh, a fellow. And you, in your seat, in this last seat on the canoe, but now you're on the last seat inside the emergency department, you have your opportunity, you have your paddle. And so how can you provide the most amount of value? So you're thinking you want to provide service and you want to add value. And so a lot of times students have the question, what do I have to do to... To, to perform at my best? Or what do I have to do to get a good grade or to get honors? And unfortunately, you've been in an environment for just about all of your career where you've been rewarded for knowing things. What is your grade point average? What was your SAT score? What was your MCAT score? So there's always been these rewards that came after a demonstration of knowing facts. Let me read something and let me regurgitate it and I get rewarded for that. And it's, um, you know, it does boost the ego of the student. But when you get into the clinical setting, uh, it's not about what you know. It's about what you can do. Because knowledge in and of itself has no value except that which can be gained from its application towards some worthy end. And so it's about what you can do, how you can perform, not necessarily what you know. Because everybody in the hospital, with the exception of the medical student, knows that you are the the least experienced and the least knowledgeable. And so providing a tremendous amount of value in the realm of clinical acumen is not going to be the spot where you're going to be able to have the most impact and influence. And so you're thinking, well, showing how much I know is not that valuable in a clinical setting. Well, how can I be of service? And so there, there is kind of one area where you have an advantage over the intern or the junior, the senior residents, the fellow, and even the attendee on your service. In this one area that you have the the most leverage on as a medical student is time. Because as the medical student, you have the least amount of responsibility and the most amount of time. So how can you leverage your 
time as a medical student to add the most amount of service and the most amount of value. So it's not what you have to do, it's who you have to become. And you have to become the most helpful person you know on your team. And within your realm, that's asking the question, how can I provide the most service? So when I say service, I'm talking about service. Healthcare is a service-related industry. We are all working in service of one thing, and that's healthcare and the patient. So how can I provide service to this patient via working on this team? And how can I add the most amount of value? And so if you think about it in terms of your greatest asset, which is you want to be the most helpful person on your team and you have the most amount of time, now you want to contribute to your team instead of doing anything that's redundant. And so those are things such as, man, you know what? The intern, the attending, the fellow, the resident, they may not have enough time to call the patient's primary care physician and get that critical piece of information. They may not have the, a much, as much time as I do to follow up on all these CT scan reads or to even call all these consultants. Now, does it get done if you're not there? Absolutely. But can it be done more efficiently and effectively if somebody on the team, you, the student, is there to help, is there to contribute? Because believe me, the attending doesn't have nearly as much time as the intern who doesn't nearly has as, have as much time as a medical student on sitting there and getting super deep into the history of this patient or even going super deep into their chart, either at your institution or some other institution. So you need to leverage your time to add value to the team in any way possible, by any means necessary. For instance, if you're doing a procedure, it's not, oh, I want to tag along uh, and watch and learn. That perspective is going to have you just, quote unquote, become a shadow. No, you actually want to contribute. Okay, if I'm going to be doing a procedure with this intern or this resident, how can I provide the most amount of value to this situation? Well, Maybe I can take the patient and put him in the procedure room if there's a procedure room. Maybe I can go ahead and get all the equipment that's needed. Maybe I can ask the nurse if we can go ahead and order some lidocaine with or without it. Maybe I could get the patient all prepped up so when the person who's going to help you, the medical student, and teach you, the medical student, the resident or the fellow or the attending arrives, they get to be there for the key moments that's going to contribute the most to the patient and your education. And so it's a different mindset that you have to have. It's not what you have to do, it's who you have to be. Because if, if I went over the million things that you have to do, well, you do certain things that add value, but it's different actions for different situations, for different patients at different times. So there might be an appropriate time to assist with a procedure for a patient uh, for a specific situation. And for that same procedure, a wholly different situation, it may be totally inappropriate uh, to ask the same for the same activities. And so it's up to you as the student to know, well, in this situation with these facts and circumstances, am I adding value or not? Because remember, our first goal is to provide service. So it might not be the best time to be practicing some type of procedure when there is a critically ill patient um, whose life depends on the decisions that happen in the next several seconds. That might not be the most opportune time. But in other situations, you could possibly do a relatively similar or exact same procedure and get assistance and get education, and it's okay. But if you're focused on doing, you may not know how to discern between those two separate situations. And so I leave it up to you to think about how can I be the most helpful person on this team by using your most valued asset, which is time. And so believe it or not, those things that you do to help conserve time for the team 
helps overall your patient and you tremendously. Because now if you've shaved off X number of minutes that your resident doesn't have to do X, Y, or Z, now they have X number of minutes to provide you education, provide you some training. And so whenever it comes to thinking about what can I get out of something, I challenge you to think of the thought, how can I be of service? How can I help? And the more you help, the more you start to learn and the more you get in these environments, in these situations where team members will want to help you. So it seems like it's counterintuitive when you think about what can I have or what can I take? Think about what can I give? But believe it or not, over the long term, uh, you're going to have a greater return on that investment. So how do I become an asset? So I want to provide value to the team. So those are the things you're thinking about before you take any action. Is this providing value or am I taking value? And so if we were to go back to the river and we're looking at your seat and you have your paddle, what does a liability look like? Well, a liability would look something like this. Well, I'm a trainee on this on this canoe. I don't have any experience. Um, maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll just shadow. Maybe I'll just watch a little bit. I'll see what they're doing. I'll see what the navigator is doing. How he or she is is guiding us. And I'll watch what all these other rowers are doing. How well they're doing. And I'll take some notes. And I'm going to try to learn as much as I can because hey, I'm a trainee. I'm here to learn. Maybe I won't row just yet. I'm at the back of the boat. Maybe they won't recognize that I'm not rowing. I'm just going to watch and observe, and I'm going to soak in as much as I can. But I want to show them that I am smart, so I'm going to maybe ask some questions I already know the answer to, or just ask some questions like, you know, what is this canoe made out of? How was it constructed? Why is the angle like this, right? And I'm not necessarily going to help, but I'm going to try to demonstrate my knowledge about this canoe because I've read about this canoe right before I got on. Uh, and in fact, I think I might know the grain of wood. And I know why it's shaped this way, but I'm going to start asking some esoteric questions um, to demonstrate my interest uh, in what we're doing. And so if you go back to the, the tenets of am I providing service? Am I adding value? Well, if you're not rowing, you're not providing service. If you don't take your canoe, if you don't take your opportunity and provide service, you're not doing what we're all here on this canoe or what we're all in the department mm -hmm. or what we're all in the hospital operating. What we're all here to do is provide service. And if you're not adding value, you're taking value. So you're, it's either a positive or a negative, and there's no real neutral uh, either in the canoe or in the hospital setting. But, but there are some trainees on the back of the canoe that's like, hey, I'm just going to observe. I'm going to be a shadow. I may or may not ask questions. But it gets tiring sitting back here on this, this unnamed river in this uncharted territory. I'm, I'm kind of hungry. And it looks like there's some food back here. There's a whole lot of snacks. Let me go ahead and open a snack, right? Let me open a snack and let me go ahead and eat. But in fact, I didn't bring these snacks. I'm just snacking. Well, individuals on this canoe are going to look back and be like, man, damn, not only is this individual, this trainee, not rowing, but they're back there eating our food. And so if at any time, anybody on this canoe looks back in that trainee seat and they have the thought, would we be better off with an empty seat? You are being a liability. At any time, if they're thinking, would we be better off with an empty seat? You would be claimed as a liability in this instance. So how does this look um, in the healthcare setting? So this is a student, some random student, not any of you listening, of course. 
But it's a student that's like, hey, you know what? I'm here to learn because I'm a medical student. I want to learn as much as I can. In fact, I've read up a little bit on this topic before I got here. So I want to demonstrate my knowledge to those uh, that I'm either rowing with or that I'm working with. So I might ask a few questions here or there to show how it, quote unquote, smart I am. But I just want to observe. I want to learn. And maybe let me tag along. And so I'm just tag along with these healthcare providers, these residents, the fellows or the attending. And not only am I just going to tag along, I'm just going to ask some questions maybe at the most or least inopportune time, uh, to show that I'm interested in this, show that I'm thinking critically about what's going on. Now, seemingly, uh, that may sound like a neutral position, but if you're not providing service to the patient, or if you're not adding value to the team, that's a liability that's taking value. Because if the team members can't work effectively and efficiently, that actually kind of slows the cogs in the wheels of this whole machinery, which is called the, the healthcare industrial complex, being facetious with these words. And so it's the student that is not intending not to help. Their primary intention is to learn, but in the process of them focusing on themselves and wanting to learn something for themselves and wanting to gain the maximum amount of information from their environment, which there's nothing wrong with that from uh, a personal standpoint, if they do this in the absence of providing service and adding value, it actually subtracts value. And what about the student who says, man, I just want to be neutral. What if, what if I'm just a volunteer and I'm just sitting down and I don't say anything, right? Which is rare. There's always some questions. <clears throat> well, neutral falls under the category of liability as well, because if they were to look back, those on the canoe at the seat and say, would we be better off either having an empty seat or somebody in that seat who took their opportunity, their role, and was to paddle? If that's the alternative, you're a liability. And the cool thing about being an asset or a liability is that it doesn't take any particular amount of medical knowledge or skill set or experience or talent. Because when you are a medical student just entering uh, the, the clinical setting, you're the one with the least amount of experience and knowledge uh, and skills. And that's okay. That's where you're supposed to be at. You're a student, and, and that's where you're supposed to be at. And you want to take the knowledge you have and get from where you are to where you want to be at the appropriate pace. And so it's never wise to think you know more than you know or demonstrate to other people like you know more than you know. You want to build from where you're at. So take the knowledge base that you have, the skill set that you have, and build on a daily basis, on a consistent basis. And recognize that although I am pretty smart compared to 95% of your peers in general, all of your age group I'm talking about, I am, I am the least experienced on this team. So how can I contribute the most? By providing service, by adding value. And in that process, in that process of service and adding value, you're going to learn an infinite amount of information and knowledge more than if your primary focus was, how can I learn the most for myself? Because in that instance, the team, the team cannot work most effectively, most efficiently. And in fact, if you're becoming one critical piece of that puzzle, that's actually learning. Providing service is actually learning. Providing value is actually learning. If you're going to call that consultant to prevent this to present this patient, you are actually doing what you are going to be doing in a short period of time, roughly a year for most of you, 
as an actual intern. So there's no better way to learn what you're supposed to be doing than to get as close as possible to what you're supposed to be doing, which is actually taking those actions that you're going to be doing as an intern or a resident or an attendant. And that's providing service. And those aren't always the most sexiest things. It may be calling and getting radiology results or talking to consultants or getting some equipment and materials ready for a procedure or chatting with family. It may not always be the most sexiest procedure or talking about the weirdest esoteric diagnoses. At the end of the day, we're providing service one patient at a time. And so you want to become an asset and a liability. And there's no such thing as neutral. It's asset or liability. I share this with uh, my nephews who are old enough to be in college or have graduated college. And I tell them, you're either an asset at home or a liability. When you're a young kid, you're what's called a dependent. Your parents are supposed to take care of you, you know, all the way up until your quote unquote adult years. But once you become an adult, you now become a liability because you're either helping out at home or you're not. Because you're going to probably be eating and you're going to be taking up some light bills and all these other bills. And so think about how you could be the most helpful individual at home if you're living at home. Well, I might not be paying bills, but can I mow the lawn? Can I wash the dishes? Can I walk the dog? Can I pick up my younger brother or sister? How can I, as a, an adult now, uh, become an asset at the house? So this asset liability goes on well above and beyond just medicine. This pertains to life in general. How can I become the most helpful person that I know? Any questions on the difference between the asset and the liability before we move on to our other two t brief topics? I like that idea that it's a mindset and not a specific set of skills that helps us as med students because that's something I can wrap my brain around. I'm just working to become a better and better paddler each day and hoping that I'm not dead weight in the back of the canoe. What other things would you like to share with us today? So a few more, two more to be exact. The next one, these are not as in-depth, but just as important. Uh, in, in the second topic, which is why we're not going to talk about so long on it, because most of the students listening to this podcast kind of already get it. And the second important topic is never stop learning. You always be, want to be working on your knowledge base and skill set. In fact, more so than any other time in your education career, more than your undergrad career or your medical school career, because now you're learning for a different purpose. In medical school or any schooling for that matter, for the most part, students or trainees or learners are primarily learning to perform well on the test to demonstrate their knowledge. And in medical school, you are selected because of your unique ability to consume information and regurgitate it at a remarkably efficient rate. And so intelligence, quote unquote intelligence or quote unquote smarts is a commodity in medicine. Everybody has a minimum amount of knowledge that they can demonstrate on a test to have gotten into medicine. And so quote-unquote smarts or knowledge is a commodity in medicine. And so when I say learn, I'm not talking about learn for the benefit of a test or to know a certain answer. I'm talking about deeply learn subject matter. And that's a different approach to when you're learning how to consume content to answer questions on a test. 
granted, the skill sets that you've developed as students to get to medical school are going to come in handy and going to be tremendously helpful when it comes time for you to convert the knowledge you're learning in a clinical setting into long-term kind of deeply seated content that sits in your lexicon. Not because you memorized it, but because there is a software program and it's encoded and there's a file in your brain that just knows it. Almost like walking. At one point, none of us knew how to walk. And walking took up a lot of our brain space. Okay, I have to stand up and granted, we're probably, you know, one or two years old, but it takes up a lot of the brain space and one foot, you know, in front of the next, I'm going to fall. And you fall 10,000 times before you learn how to walk. But over time, your brain starts to what's called chunking. It starts to chunk information. And it starts to take all these different data elements and these data points. And you start to have knowledge, these, these aggregation of data points. You understand it. And then with knowledge, you convert that to wisdom. You apply what you've learned, in this case, walking. And so walking doesn't become this kind of weird process anymore. It just gets chunked in a file in your brain that's called walking. And if you have to walk, you activate that file. Walk and it happens. You don't even think about it anymore. Like adults have a file for driving. Like we don't think about driving, it just happens. And when we chunk enough pieces of information in these files um, and likening our brain to software programs. And so once you have enough of these files, you can do other things without actually thinking about the file that's being activated. Like you can walk and talk on the phone, or you can drive and hopefully not text, but you can drive and do other things. <clears throat> and so when you truly deeply understand the pathophysiologic basis of disease, or the rationale why a treatment is what it is, um, or even going beyond that, the evidence-based medicine behind why we do what we do, <clears throat> once you deeply learn that, you start to create these deep-seated files that just get activated. And that's different than learning for a test where you memorize certain things. And once you're confronted with something like, um, oh, I have an acronym for that. And I remember the acronym. And the third thing on the acronym was this. It might be that. Now, for the most part, that'll get you to a very basic novice level of understanding in, in behavior. But that's all it gets you. It doesn't take you to that, that deeper Jedi Knight level of understanding what's going on in the environment and being able to make a well-informed decision. And this deep knowledge comes from truly trying to understand what's going on with your specific patients, deeply learning about why this is happening, how this is happening, and how you can have the greatest impact on their care. Now, the focus with this type of education is not to show how smart you are, is not to get a good grade on a test. It's for the sole purpose of providing your patient the highest quality service, which is why we get up and go to work every single morning. And when you start to learn in the context of providing care and providing service, you start to retain things at a rate that you would never think was possible. Whereas it may have taken weeks to memorize something and days to forget it. When you have a patient with a certain condition or ailment that deeply has an emotional impact, and you put that in a context where you start to link facts in physiology and pathophysiology, and now you understand why you're giving them the treatment, you start to deeply understand medicine. And you start to know it. You don't memorize it. You just start to know it. And over time, the more conditions that you see, 
the more you can start to build these files and start making decisions that are based off of your experience. And it should also be based off of the best available evidence as well as the patient's values and preferences. But the more experience you have, the more proficient you become at doing what you're doing, which is making healthcare decisions. And so that learning process is a little bit different than studying for a test. Because just about any student can memorize something with some type of memory tricks and answer a question once it's presented amongst a list of options, A through D. But in the clinical setting, patients don't come with those list of options. Hey, doctor, uh, I have these symptoms, and is it A, B, C, D, or E? There's nothing that's going to remind you what the answer is. You have to start with what you have. And so learning on a continuous basis, deeply learning for the benefit and the service of your patient, you'll find that you're going to take home and you're going to retain a tremendous amount of information that's above and beyond what you would learn by just picking up a book and studying for, you know, your USMLE or anything else for that matter. Because now there's there's a deep contextual framework that you have, the clinical setting. And the stakes, Will, are much higher in undergrad or medical school or even for your MCATs or your USMLEs. You're taking a test, to be honest with you, for your own personal gain. You're trying to pass this test to move to that next level. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're studying at a level to answer questions on a test. Students are interested in what's asked on this test so I can regurgitate, hopefully, what I'm going to be asked about. And the implications of making a wrong guess is you don't score as high as you could have on the test. More importantly, you may not score above that minimum threshold that have you pass the test. But the implications and the consequences pertain to one person, and that's you. Now, in the healthcare setting, the stakes are much higher. Whereas a mistake on a test means you don't get a good score, a mistake in decision-making in the clinical setting could mean somebody gets critically ill. There could be a tremendous amount of morbidity or mortality. Somebody can die based off of a wrong decision. So death versus I'm not getting a good grade on the test. So it's infinity when we compare those two. In a mistake as small as a movement of a decimal spot over by one digit can mean the difference between a therapeutic dose of a medicine to treat cancer and a lethal dose that's going to result in death. One decimal spot. And so now our decisions carry much more weight. And our decisions go above and beyond just us. We have been entrusted by our fellow man and our fellow woman society to do the best we possibly can in every single situation for another human being. So this is a tremendously privileged position that we're in, and we should never forget that every single day it's a privilege to be in a position to help the life or to help anybody. So to help another human being, but more importantly, to have this impact and this influence, not on just one person, but on populations. And so we should never take that responsibility lightly. And because we, we swore the first do no harm. And so now our decisions are at a much higher level. Our decisions really mean something. And when our decisions mean, hey, I might not score as high, not a problem. I'll relearn something and I'll do better. 
in a clinical setting, you have to be working full throttle at the best of your ability all day, every day. There are no days off because you owe it to yourself. You owe it to everyone who has trained you in the past. But more importantly, you owe it to the patient that's before you. Because if your quality is anything less, healthcare is probably not the profession for you. Because this is a profession where we can't afford to make errors in that regard. Um, errors that could have been prevented. Not saying everybody's going to be perfect, but you want to minimize the preventable errors. So learn deeply. Learn for a, a different cause, a different purpose than just, I want to study to get a good grade. Granted, your study skills got you where you're at, so build upon those. Don't try to perfect that for the purpose of knowing something. Try to build upon what you've learned thus far, which is amazing. If you've gotten into medical school, you're like in the top 1% of the top 5% of all of the students in your age category who tried to get into medicine. So you've accomplished a tremendous amount just by being a medical student. You're already successful. You're just on the path. So continue to use those skills that has, have gotten you here to build, to build. And learning what you've learned thus far to get your grades on test, that's just the beginning. Now the stakes are much higher and your commitment has to be much deeper. What does that mean in a practical sense? At the end of every shift, you should be thinking about what was it uh, that was most impactful for me today from a learning standpoint. Hey, there was some diagnostic tool or procedure I didn't know about. Let me de delve further. There was this weird presentation of this disease that I, I wasn't familiar with. Let me, oh, you know what? I need to learn a little bit more about EKGs on this, these specific findings of acute coronary syndrome, like these, you know, these stemming equivalents. Because I had a patient today who had a, had a STEMI and I didn't recognize it. When you start to learn in that context of your patient in, in an area where you can have improvement, you start to take that home and it starts to go into these files that just stick. And so the more context you have, the better you can learn. And as a byproduct of that process, you start to become uh, proficient and efficient in making decisions. You start to happen to answer questions correctly, not because you memorize the answer, but because you know the answer. And as a byproduct, you happen to get better grades on either your in-service exams or your USMLE, not because you were, quote unquote, specifically studying to get a good grade, but because you were deeply studying to understand something. And with that in mind, you're going to take that to the next patient because patients don't care about what your grades were. They care about if you make the right decision. And at the end of the day, that's what we're at work to do, make the right decisions. So learn deeply. So, Will, before we move on to the next question, any questions on learn deeply? I don't have to go too deep into that because you guys know pretty much how to learn in general. Thanks for that. I like your idea and reminder that med students have time because I know when I'm sitting there and I'm charting and I'm on the computer all the time, I often forget to get up and actually just go talk to the patient. And I find that really beneficial both for them and for me because it's better than any flashcard can be in terms of tying that knowledge and those lab results and that information down to a specific patient, a person, and who they are outside of their disease. And it helps me uh, later on when it comes to all the tests and exams and recalling the information. This concludes the first half of our episode with Dr. McCoy. Join us for the second episode where he talks about balance and maintaining that while we're on rotations.
and then a little bit more about his intriguing story. If you enjoyed this episode, please reach out to us on Facebook, emigcast, or on Reddit, also emigcast. Or finally, just shoot us an email. We're emigcast at gmail.com. We'd love to have students who are outside of OHSU or across the nation get more involved by producing episodes, asking us questions, or responding in any way we can. We're all in this together as we go forward in med school.